You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. What up, Mill Sunday Schoolers? I love screaming the first thing in the morning. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. It's in the New Testament, about halfway through the New Testament. Book of Romans, written by Paul a long time ago to Rome. And he, he writes about submission to authorities. And all this month we're talking about church and politics. No big deal. Actually, it's a pretty big deal. R- Romans 13.1, that's why we're talking about it. Romans 13.1 says this, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except what God has established. Did you hear that point? That's the big number one point. There is no authority except that which God has established. Authority, government stuff, is a God thing. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but only for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Everybody say, ooh. If you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is why you pay your taxes. Everybody say, is that really in there? <laughs> this is, it's, it's in there. This is why you pay your taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we do come before you right now, and we thank you for government. We thank you for authority. God, as we learn today about you on this earth acting through the authorities and governments that you've established God, would you open our hearts and minds to you and to you alone, Jesus. We open up to you, God. Would you speak to our hearts and to our minds this morning? And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> um, when I was uh, just out of high school, I was kind of disillusioned about my car. I have this really sweet car. It's a 1990 Ford Escort. If you know what a Ford Escort is, it's not that sweet. And I, I, but I thought it was really sweet. I mean, I, I'm grateful for the car. It's just not a sports car, but I was always, like, spinning my tires. And it's an automatic, so I'd have to work on the neutral, like, drive thing. Like, squealing out my tires, like, going on turns and pulling the e-brake and, like, And I just thought it was so cool. I would speed everywhere. And if, like, a friend, a buddy was in the car with me, he'd be speeding around and, like, taking corners like a maniac. And uh, I just thought it was really cool. I p- probably was. Um... <laughs> But I was, I was bragging to my youth pastor. My youth pastor was a guy who I really respect at the time. And uh, we, were, we were close and good friends. And he would, he would just have opportunities to speak into my life. And I was bragging to him about my driving skills. And, and I, was, I told him something that was true at the time. I had been pulled over by the cops nine times. And I had never gotten a ticket. It's, it's insane. It's, it's still to this day a miracle. Uh, <clears throat> And I was bragging to my youth pastor about this, this, uh, 
<laughs> this nine pullovers and no ticket tickets. And, and I was just, you know, talking about how cool of a driver I was. I'm so cool. I'm speeding everywhere. They can't catch me. And he, and he was basically like, you shouldn't be doing that. And I was like, well, it's not wrong if I don't get caught. <laughs> and he was like, no, nah, it, do, it doesn't work that way. And, and we started talking about, he started, he started bringing the spiritual nature, the God thing into our conversation. And I was basically, I, I don't know if I really said this, but my thought was, well, my spiritual life is right. I'm, uh, you know, I'm obeying God. I am reading the Bible. I'm praying. I have a relationship with God. And then I'm just speeding. I'm breaking the law and kind of pretty much driving like an idiot, a maniac, um, with my sweet Ford Escort. Uh, and I was bragging about this with my youth pastor. And he, fi- he finally just said, you know, authorities have been established by God. And I had, at, at that point, I was, I was fairly new to Christianity, just being right out of high school. And I had never read or understood or these passages about authority and submission to government authority being a spiritual thing, being a God thing. And he really showed me that, you know, the first, when you see a police officer, you're speeding down the road. Or let's just say you're obeying the law and you're going the normal speed down the road. When you see a police officer, your first thought should be, here's a government official. He's doing good. Not, oh my gosh, I'm going too fast. Slow down. And that, that was his point. And I think today, this might be new for a lot of you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove today that, that through the Bible and through the passage that I just read that authorities, governmental authorities are a God thing. That submission to authorities is a spiritual thing. And uh, this whole month we're talking about church and politics. That's what we've uh, named this, this series of Sunday School. And uh, um, the next time Sunday School meets, which by the way is going to be after fall retreat, um, I'll get to that in a minute, Glenn Packingham is going to teach about uh, roles of government. And then uh, we have a really cool opportunity. On November 1st, a dude named Dinesh D'Souza is going to be right here. Yes! He's a really cool dude. He wrote all kinds of books. He wrote uh, What's So Great About America. He wrote Letters to a Young Conservative. He wrote What's So Great About Christianity. He's a Christian uh, political analyst. When he was like 20 years old, he was an advisor to Reagan. And I was like, was he like an intern? No, he's an advisor to Reagan uh, when he was 20 years old, which is really cool. And uh, so he will be here November 2nd. So there'll be three Sundays, uh, the first being, uh, the last being November 2nd. That's the first Sunday in November. Dinesh D'Souza will be here. If you don't know of him, uh, he's, he's a pretty big deal. So uh, Dinesh D'Souza will be here. I'm really excited about that. And uh, so if this is your first time to the Mill Sunday School, there are sheets out there to fill out. It's like a first-time card. You could put your name and information on it and then give it to the nice people in the back there, and they will give you a CD just for coming to the Mill Sunday School. We just want to say welcome and thanks for joining us. And the Mill Sunday School is really about taking our spiritual knowledge from maybe a shallower end of the pool, wherever you're at, to a deeper end of the pool. And so Sunday school is really lined out like a curriculum this whole year, laying foundational things and going deep, a mile wide and a mile deep in foundational topics of Christianity. And church and politics being really not foundational, but important. And so this is an elective month. The way we've set it up is with a, with course, like the curriculum months, and then random months in between as electives. And this, my friends, is an elective topic, and we've done so for the reason of getting credit through King's College and Seminary college credit for coming to the middle Sunday school. If you don't know about it, I've been talking about it for a little while, but if you don't know about it, a few of you have already signed up. There's uh, information, a syllabus back there, and application into the King's College and Seminary just to get college credit for coming to Mill Sunday school. Pretty sweet, right? 
I think it's pretty cool. It gives legitimacy to our curriculum and what we're doing. So, uh, yeah, let's talk about something. How about fall retreat? Raise your hand if you're going. And look around and see all these hands. Your hand should also be up. You should definitely go to the Milfar Retreat. Okay, you can put your hands down. <laughs> there, there's two weekends this year, and the reason is because we have such a sweet camp. It's called Crooked Creek Ranch. It's a young life camp that we go to, and we call it a camp, but it's not like a, you're not going to be camping. Girls, bring your curling irons and your hair dryers. It's, it's not a camp like camping. It's a sweet, like, bathrooms, and it's really nice. Good food, like hot tub, like a 70-person hot tub, heated pools, like really cool so if you've been there, tell, tell somebody that hasn't been there how cool it is. It's amazing. And uh, besides that, besides the cool factor and it being like lots of people that you know and mill people and getting to know people if you don't know people, God always does amazing things at Fall Retreat. And, and I know you can't, there's not an equation to get close with God, but pulling yourself away and, and going on a retreat, retreating from your own life and taking a weekend out of your life and, and listening to great sermons by Aaron and Glenn are going to talk about pausing. And that's the, our theme this year is pause. And I actually get a, a mini set of one of the breakout sessions. I'm going to talk about finding rest and knowing what you believe at Pitfall Retreat. And it, it's just a message about, you know, getting away for and, and pausing and looking at your life and, and knowing who you are with God. And, and so, It'll be awesome. Spiritually, it'll be awesome. You'll meet lots of people. It'll be awesome. And uh, it'll be a pretty sweet time. So if your hand wasn't raised, you should talk to somebody whose hand was raised and, and learn about how sweet fall retreat's going to be. You got it? Yeah. All right, let's get started. On your notes, on your skillet, which, by the way, the cover of the skillet, I did not choose my own face to be the cover of the skillet, although that is a very handsome picture. I really did. Patrick did. He's smiling back there. Uh, open up to your notes. The first point is government is a blank thing. And uh, I, I want you to put in the word God. Government is a God thing. And I hope to prove that to you today that, that especially if this idea is new to you, that, that government, that like the United States, even, even if the United States wasn't like founded on Christian principles or wasn't a Christian nation at all, even, even non-Christian governments are a God thing. Governments are a God thing. And I hope to prove that to you today. Uh, I think about the Old Testament and the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You know what that's called in Hebrew? The Pentateuch or the Torah, the law. And, and that's what that, that word means. The, the, the Bible begins with five books called the law, the Torah. And God is very concerned you know, the, the mistake I had, at least, let me say it this way. The mistake I had when I was bragging to my youth pastor about my sweet driving skills and getting, not getting tickets, which, by the way, after our conversation, it wasn't even a week later, after I was bragging to my youth pastor about nine pullovers and no ticket, guess what happened not just a week later? Got a ticket. <laughs> Brutal. God's way of saying, yeah, listen to your youth pastor. Stop being an idiot. <laughs> Anyways, um, God is deeply concerned, not just with our spiritual lives and reading the Bible, but, but also our obey, obeying authorities and government officials. That's why we have two police officers in the back. <laughs> uh, they're just kidding. Die, guys. We love you. I'm talking about obeying authorities. It's a good thing. And, uh, <laughs> oh, man. I get so distracted. I pretend like I'm not distracted up here by the happenings, but then I just get distracted. Let's just face it. Uh, <laughs> Let's do this. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 
I'm going to read another passage for you. 1 Peter chapter 2. Because government is a God thing. And we talked about how you really start reading the Bible and you find a lot of passages talking about obeying authorities or just God laying out things that are spiritual in obeying authority. Even if that authority isn't necessarily good, it's still a God thing. And I'm going to get to that point in a second. If that throws you off, I'm going to explain that. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13 says this. And basically, uh, before, before I read it, I want to point to, to verse 14. It says, governors were sent to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. And that's really kind of the purpose of government, of to, to punish those who do wrong and commend those that do right. Because if, if you've ever thought of the question, like, is humanity good or is humanity evil? I think there's, there's two ways to answer that question. You could answer it with, you know what? Humanity is good. There's good things inside human beings because we've been created by God. There's, a, there's a, uh, a Latin phrase that means the image of God. Do you know the phrase? Imago Dei. Yes, I heard it around here. Excellent. Geniuses. Imago Dei is the Latin term meaning image of God. And we as human beings have been created with an image of God, goodness inside of us because God has created us. But at the same time, because of sinful nature, because of the sin of human beings, we are all also born with a sinful nature, a corrupt nature, a nature that's been bent and corrupt, and it's not that good anymore. And so there's both living inside of us, a good nature and a bad nature. And what government does is it punishes those who do wrong. That first passage that we read today in Romans was about you should be afraid if you're doing wrong that the governing officials will punish you. Yeah, because it's a God thing being put in place. But government also commends those that do right. Government provides order and justice. And so let's read this passage, First Peter 2, 13 says, submit yourselves, submit yourselves to, for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. So you submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every institution, whether to the king as supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that you are doing good. You should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. And then it says, verse 16, Live as free men, but do not use your freedom to cover up evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone, loving the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. And what I see in this passage is, is obeying civil authority, obeying government authority, because it is a God thing. And the main, if you're, if you're taking notes, I think the main point of today is as Christians, our role is to serve government. Our role is to submit to it. And I think service and submitting are, are very similar ideas. And so how do we serve the government? Well, we serve the government by submitting to it. But then here is the question for you. The next point on your note says, what to do under blank authority? I want you to put in the word, what to do under immoral authority? Because the point I just made is, is obey authority. But what if that authority is immoral? And I think, you know, something's funny about the passages that I just read. I read a passage in Romans. Who was the author of Romans? And then I read a passage by First uh, Peter. <laughs> Who's the author of Peter? <laughs> Peter. <laughs> Trick question. So was, uh, Peter and Paul wrote those two different books. Both of them saying, oh, submit to your authorities. But both of them were in jail for not submitting to the authority of the Roman and Jewish governments because they were preaching Jesus Christ. Was that illegal back in the day? Yes, it was. They weren't obeying the civil authority, and yet they're saying, obey the authority. What gives, coach? Right? 
Here, here's something that I thought, I got this email a couple of years ago. I think you've probably seen it. Maybe, maybe a, a pastor's used it in a sermon or something like that. But uh, like one of those forwarded emails that you read or don't, usually I don't read them anymore. It's ridiculous. Get so many of them. But it said, it said, it said basically there's a story of a, of a church trying to find a pastor. And so they elect a committee and the committee's just taking forever because they're so picky about the new pastor they want to hire. And the process is taking ages. And, uh, Finally, one of the committee members gets upset with the committee that they're taking so long and being so extremely picky that he, he puts together a resume as if it's from the Apostle Paul and lists things like, I've preached in the major cities and uh, I, I still, I've started so many uh, churches and I'm still in correspondence with them. And then it said, if you, if you check my background, you'll find that I've been in and out of jail countless times for, for, stuff, for preaching the message of Christ and for starting riots and whatnot. And he presented this to the committee and the committee's like, who's this? We're not going to hire this guy that's been in and out of jail. And then the guy was like, you wouldn't hire the Apostle Paul. <laughs> Paul and Peter were in and out of jail numerous times. And read, read the book of Acts and you'll, you'll see that. And yet they say, submit to your authority. So here's what, here's what gives. That, that, that a God thing, if government is a God thing... God things can be bent and be corrupted and human beings can be in charge of a government and those human beings can be sinful or corrupt. And, um, and so what do you do under uh, an authority that, that is corrupt? I, I, I was in China, what was it now, four years ago when, with the mill missions. Anybody else went to China? Ooh, ooh. Um, <laughs> uh, when you're in China, the Chinese government doesn't allow you to preach. And I was specifically in Tibet. And if we were, we, we, we were instructed when you're in Tibet, downtown Lhasa, don't even hand out papers. Don't even um, be very careful with who, those that you even start conversations with, with about Christianity because you can get in trouble. And then the missionaries that are actually there full time in Tibet could then get arrested. It's illegal there. And, and then a, la- two, uh, a couple months ago when I was in Africa, I was in Egypt. Anybody else in Africa? Mill missions. Woo. Uh, I was in Egypt. And in Egypt, it's illegal to convert to be a Christian. And so what do you do under governments like that that are anti-Christian, that are anti-freedoms of religion that you can't be a Christian, you can't preach, you can't read your own Bible, you can't even be a Christian? Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, do you guys, have you heard of him? He, he wrote The Cost of Discipleship, and he, he lived under the Nazi re- regime. Regime. He was a, a, a German dude that, that lived in Germany right, on, right as Hitler was coming to power, and he wrote about not giving in. He wrote from, specifically from the Sermon on the Mount in his Cost of Discipleship book and said that discipleship to Jesus is going to cost you a whole bunch. And, and he even gave his life at the end to the Nazi regime because he would not submit to the Nazis and the horrors they were doing. And I, I, we always put a sweet quote on the back of the skillet and uh, at the bottom there, at the very back. It says, this is the Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote. And he said, if we answer the, to the call of discipleship, where will it lead us? Only Jesus Christ, who bids us follow him, knows the journey's end. And it's not going to be an easy journey. I think in the United States, we obviously have it pretty easy with, with freedom of speech, freedom of religion. But there's other countries, other governments that do not have those freedoms. And so what I want to ask you is the question, what do we do when there's an immoral government in charge of us, over us, and and we have to submit to that. I mean, the Bible says submit to the governing authorities. But what if that authority is immoral? 
Here's the question for, we're going to discuss it or just to write down thoughts of your own. Get your, get your mind juices flowing, um, if that even makes sense. Um, here's the question for you. Uh, when do we disobey authority? And I think the, the duh answer is, or the, the, the kid's Sunday school answer is, well, whenever the authority clearly is in dis- disregard to what the Bible says. If it's in, dis- you know, opposite polar ends. The Bible says this, but the governing authority is saying, do this. Obviously, that's the case. That's the duh answer. But I, what, what I want you to think about is, okay, when? And maybe some of you have had opportunity. Maybe your boss was asking you to do something immoral, uh, and, and that's, a, that's an authority above you. Or maybe you've been to some of these countries where you're not allowed to preach or, or share the gospel or even become a Christian. So I want you to, to name specific incidences when oh, disobeying the authority is a good thing. Do you get the discussion question? Okay, either write it down or turn to your buddies and maybe come up with a little bit of a list of specifics. When to disobey authority is a good thing. Ready? Get set, go. Uh, I'm going to give you uh, like a minute to wrap up. So begin to wrap up your, uh, your list of things.
Right, everyone, thank you for doing that exercise. Um, here's what I want you to do. If, if you are so bold in to share an idea with group, we want you to do so. I've, I've given a, the mic to Big Bill here, and he, he's going to come to you. So be bold. Uh, let us know if, if maybe your group came up with something that was good. And specifically, it'd be cool if, if maybe you were the person that had to disobey authority in order to do the God thing. Anybody want to go first? Bill gets to choose. <laughs> and we, we got the mic so everyone can hear. Mm. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear it. And so when I said to him, I was like, you know, you can't tell me I can't talk about God. We're in America. You can't tell me that. We yeah. weren't really doing any exercises or anything like that. We were just hanging out. And I, I got in a lot of trouble for it, but it wasn't, he couldn't tell me I couldn't do it. Yeah, that's good. That's great, Beth. What, what else? There was another hand right over here-ish, I think. I think a good example of when the government disagrees uh, with the Bible when it comes when it comes to like the sanctity of human life and yeah. the quality of uh, humanity. Uh-huh. A good example is like the Underground Railroad, where uh, people smuggled slaves out, or where yeah. people hid Jews from the Nazis. Yeah, good, excellent. Thank you, Brian. I saw some other hands over. Here. Yes. Yeah. And um, I know that in my past, my dad was walking with God. Mm. And my mom became a Christian before him. Yeah. And there was a lot of verbal and emotional abuse. And she would tell me that she had to submit to some authority. Right. Instead of standing up for your children. And from my perspective, I, I put my foot down and I was like, well, that's not correct. And, but at the same time, like giving it to God and knowing that he can take control of it. Yeah. God will straighten out the authoritative issue in the church that is or is not. And shortly thereafter, thank God, my dad did come to Christ and awesome. healed all of his back. Yeah. So it's connected too. Yeah, that's good. Thank you for sharing that. Maybe one, maybe one more, and then uh, I really want to get to the uh, the idea of of how we how we disobey authority in order to submit to God's authority. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, why don't you turn to Acts chapter 4. That's a perfect segue into, I was going to bring up the, the Peter and John before the Sanhedrin. That Look at spe- specifically Acts 4.18. And this is, to, to give the background of the story, uh, Acts chapter 3 is, is where Peter and uh, John heal a crippled beggar. And he's at the temple and, and Peter says, stand and... 
the crippled person stands and then is, is healed, even though they were crippled since birth. And, and, uh, and then the, Jesus, they start preaching Jesus, which is a contrary to the, obviously, the Old Testament Jewish notion that, 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 that God is God alone. And yet, and yet Jesus is claiming to be God, which is not contrary because he actually was God. <laughs> and, and so G, they're, they're preaching Jesus, which is illegal. And they're before the Sanhedrin, Acts chapter 4, verse 18. And it says, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19 says, But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. And there, there it is. I mean, there, there it is laid out specifically. Should we obey authority or obey God? And if it comes down to that decision, it's obviously, as Christians, we obey God before the authority. And this is, above, this is when an immoral authority is above us. But I, I want to speak to the notion of, of how we go about doing that. And uh, to that, I think there's a, there's a passage in Second, or 1 Samuel. And if you could turn all the way to, back to the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 24. This is a, this is a, a fascinating story that you may have, may have seen before. Maybe you haven't. It's, it's kind of hidden. It's the story of David and Saul, and David and Saul were both uh, kings over Israel, and Saul was king first, and he turned into a bad guy, and then God, uh, not elected, uh, anointed David to be king, and so here's Saul, still living, king, God, God said Saul is king, but then he turned into a bad guy, and then David is elected by God to replace Saul, and so uh, look at First Samuel chapter twenty-four. Uh, here, this this is the story of how David spares Saul's life because Saul, the ruling king, uh, decides I'm going to kill David. And we're talking about the same David as David and Goliath. In fact, that's one of the things why Saul was so angry at David because Saul killed Goliath and get, then got very jealous of David. And David is running for his life, and Saul and all his I think he says three thousand somewhere three thousand men are chasing David all around, and they're going to kill him. And David. So the authority in charge is Saul. Do you see this picture that I'm painting? Maybe, hopefully I'm painting it well. That Saul is king. He has the authority of kingdom. He is the king over Israel. Yet David has been elected to be king by the prophet Samuel. God said David is going to be the new king. And so David is still, David's in this weird place where he should be king, yet Saul really is king. And so David is under this, well, David is thinking, if, if Saul needs to get, be gotten rid of, then let God do that. David is going to remain faithful and not murder Saul. Murder would be an unjust means to accomplish an end. And in Christianity, it's, it's, it's never the case that the, that the ends justify immoral means. And, and so here's what David does. Uh, verse, uh, I think I want to go to verse t- 3. And it says that he came near the sheep pens. Along the way, there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe number one, number two. We don't know. Don't say. Maybe maybe if somebody's a Hebrew scholar, they could look into that word "relieve himself" and find out for us. Uh, it'd be great use of your Bible study time. <laughs> Just kidding. Lighten up. Uh, <laughs> Saul, Saul goes in to relieve himself, and David is in the back of the cave. And David could have killed him in that cave, right? I mean, he's relieving himself. Obviously, prone to attack and. Uh, 
number one or two, at the, uh, either case. And David's in the far back of the cave. David could have killed Saul. David could have murdered him in unjust means to accomplish the end of David becoming king. But Saul still is king. He has that authority. So instead, it says that, it says that David cut off a piece of his clothing. And then it says, verse 5 is, is interesting. It says, afterward, after cutting off the clothing, David was conscious stricken for even having cut off the corner of the robe. Even just cutting a piece of his clothing off, David was conscious stricken just for that, for, just a, for, for an, somewhat of an unjust means of, of trying to accomplish him being king and not Saul. And so anyways, he go, he's from a distance. He holds up that piece of cloth after Saul leaves. And he holds it up and says, here I have this piece of cloth. I could have killed you in that cave, but I did not. And so then Saul and David become kind of friends again, but then they, the, the, kind of the same thing happens again. And eventually God ends up taking the life of Saul in battle, and David becomes king. But I, I show you that passage to, to pull out the point of how we disobey authority. And, and you brought up the very good point of when, when, you do, when you don't submit authority on the basis that God's authority is higher, you, you, dis, you disobey the law in order to obey God's law. It's really important in how you do that. And I think we could also learn from the Jesus how Jesus was God himself in the flesh here on earth, and he had all the power of God. There's a, there's a passage that says when he was getting arrested, he could have called down a legion of angels to stop it all, right? I mean, he's God. He has all that power. And yet, he submitted to the authority of the Roman and the Jewish synagogue and went to the cross and, and went there, it says in another passage, like a sheep led to the slaughter. And I think if we disobey authority, there is, there is going to be consequences. But the ends don't justify the means. We are still to remain moral as we, as we disobey authority if it comes down to God's authority versus a governmental authority. And so the, the main point is that just that if we, if we disobey, God's authority, disobey a government's authority, we can't do so by immoral means. Let's look at the last, uh, the last point on the notes. And this one might take a little explaining to do. It says the church is the largest blank, and it's in quotations. It's very important that that's in quotations. The world has ever seen. And I, I want you to put in there, the church is the, is the largest organization the world has ever seen. And it's, it's definitely in quotations because, because we're really not that organized as a church. <laughs> as like a, I mean, there's all these denominations, and there's no one leader of us all, and there's no, I mean, there's, we like to argue and make fun of the, you know, the, this domination or that denomination. So we're not exactly organized organization, <laughs> but we're, I, I didn't want to use the r- word group because it, it didn't seem powerful enough. And we are organized under, under the Bible. We are organized under our belief in Jesus Christ. And that does bring organization. The church is the largest organization the world has ever seen. A couple years ago, um, Rick Warren was in town. It was, it was over the winter time. And, uh, <coughs> Excuse me. He was in town for some sort of conference here in Colorado Springs, and then after that conference, he was on his way home. But the Denver—it was like during the snowstorms, and Denver Airport was like on a, t- a 24-hour delay or something ridiculous like that. So his flight was going to be delayed 24 hours, and he called an impromptu meeting just for fun of all the pastors of Colorado Springs, whoever wants to come. It was like I think an email went out in the afternoon. He wanted to get together that evening, so extremely short notice. But he said. Over at Woodman Valley Chapel, whoever wants to come, I'll just meet with the pastors. Do you guys know who Rick Warren is? 
I think we have a picture. There's me and Rick Warren. He's like famous. So I'm like famous now because I was like taking my picture by Rick Warren. It was really cool because he wrote Purpose Driven Life. Um, he's kind of, in my opinion, in lots of people's opinion, he's kind of the new Billy Graham as, as far as like being a figurehead for the evangelical spokesman. He's on the news a lot as far as like, what do evangelicals think? And then up comes Rick Warren. He has a lot of, he has a lot of um, just a lot of influence over Christianity because of his book that did so well, The Purpose Driven Life. And uh, it was cool that so we had dinner with Rick Warren, and, uh, and then afterwards, I mean, everybody kind of wants to, I mean, I wanted to get my picture taken with Rick Warren, but it's kind of embarrassing, you know, because he's not, I mean, he's famous, but he's not like a movie star, and it's just awkward. <laughs> so what he said, he said, like, after we had dinner, he said, I want to get my pictures taken with all of you individually so that, so that I can remember this moment. And I thought, that's so cool. Like, he, he I mean, obviously, he's, he doesn't want the picture. It's us that wants the picture, but he's, he's I don't know, it was, re- it, was, it was cool. He's a really cool guy. And uh, we, I was at this dinner. And I think Aaron actually got the email. The executive staff at New Life Church got the email of the pastors uh, invited to Rick Warren. Aaron couldn't make it, so he asked me if I wanted to. And I was like, yeah, it's Rick Warren. Hello. And uh, so I had, we had dinner. It was, it was only like 15 of us having dinner with Rick Warren. And uh, I had dinner with him. And then we just started talking, just, you know, just, just chit-chatting. He wasn't like teaching us anything or using a whiteboard. or It was just a conversation. And he began talking about the church. And, and his influence, I mean, he kind of sees it from a different perspective. He sees it as, as a more of a united front because he's, in some ways, kind of a spokesman or a pretty important spokesman right now for Christianity. And he said, you know, the church is 2.3 billion people. 2.3 billion people claiming to be Christian. And that is larger than any country. I mean, China is the largest country. It's only 1 billion. It's larger than any uh, nation. It's larger than any, uh, you know, organization that, that pulls itself together. It's larger than any other religion. It's the largest grouping of people the world has ever known that's united by their faith in Jesus Christ. 2.3 billion people. And with that many people, with that much influence, we as the church can serve and so th- this, this point brings itself into the, the whole government authority issue because on, that, on the basis of that point that I said earlier that, that our role with authority is to serve that authority. And how do we as Christians, as 2.3 billion Christians, as an organization, the largest organization the world has ever seen, how do we serve the world? And I think Rick, Rick Warren began talking about things like you know, as Christians, no other organization has the power to, you know, end poverty. And he, he talked pretty nonchalantly about, just candidly about, you know, poverty is a, is a really big deal in our world. There's, um, you know, the majority of people live on less than a dollar a day. And, and we just think about, man, a dollar a day. I like pull out my wallet and I got like a two months salary right here. And just think about like how poor the nation is compared, the nations are compared to the United States. And he says, you know, as Christians, 2.3 billion people, we could do something about that. We could do something about HIV AIDS in Africa with, with organization and education. We could do something about malaria. And he talked about uh, some stats of malaria. How many people die of malaria? Yet malaria was a disease that we found the cure for hundreds of years ago. And so why is this disease still killing so many people? Well, it just needs education. We need to get that medicine to them. And, and Rick Warren just began talking about this, and it really empowered me to think about just this whole idea of what is a Christian role in, in government and authority and in, in the world. And so often, right around like election time, which now is, um, you know, the news like brings up the idea of um, 
how, do we, how, does, how does this party get the evangelical vote? And if this party can win the evangelical vote, then they've won the election. And that really came true in, in 2004 for electing Bush. And, uh, and, and, and I think our power as Christians, our power on the face of this earth as Christians, is the, the tip of the iceberg is just winning the evangelical vote. You know, and that the whole idea of, um, you know, just... As, as Christians, if, if, if the evangelicals were to pull together and vote for a particular candidate, then that candidate would win, hands down. No big deal. But I think that's just the tip of the iceberg of the power that we have as Christians. And I think um, our power as Christians is in that service, the service to the world and pulling together and helping individuals. And, and so often, you know, there's this tension between the government and Christian uh, as far as like what we do to serve the poor. And, and someone, one of the pastors here at New Life, Pastor Garvin and I, were in a conversation about, you know, how do we help the poor? And what's the, what's the church's role in helping the poor? And what's the government's role in helping the poor? Like with welfare, social security, all those programs. And he made a, a fascinating point that I still remember. Uh, and even those conversations quite a while ago, he said, he said, you know, when the government hands out money or, or service to the poor, it's, it's a handout. And it's like, here, here you go, here's some help. And, and there's no message with it. But when the church... If someone comes to New Life Church and, and is in need and we help them, then it's, then it's a handout with a message. We get to say, here's, here's some money, here's, some, uh, here's clothing, shelter, etc., whatever you need, you know, gas money, who knows. Well, here's whatever you need, and then here's why we're giving it to you, because we love Jesus Christ. And I, I want you to know that New Life, I think, is doing a pretty good job. We just hired a, a benevolence pastor that just oversees helping people out financially, socially, um, uh, giving people education about finances. And and we do help quite a few people that just come to New Life with true legitimate needs. And I think it's so much better when a church gives out of the message of Jesus Christ. It's so much better. Do you realize why it's so much better than the government just giving money to the poor? Because, I mean, without the message, it's, it's, you know, money will go away. It's the message of Jesus Christ that can radically change an individual's life. And um, I think I just want to um, close with this idea of, of rallying together and, and helping the poor. Serving government, serving authority in a way that is service to our nation, service to the poor. And uh, I think... I think there's a quote that says, in, in times of crisis, the church, in the, in, dark, in the dark times of crisis, the church can shine the brightest. And, you know, I, I, I do, it's, it's kind of the nerdier side of, of what I do. Every morning I wake up early and I, so I check the stock market and I, I'm dabbling with like the, my, my little bit of savings and I'm investing and stuff like that. Uh, it's just kind of fun. And, uh, and, if, how many of you have been watching the news recently about the financial crisis? I mean, they just throw around the term financial crisis um, constantly. And, and we, as, as individuals in the United States, can get very frightened about the financial crisis that could be coming, the Depression. People are comparing it to the 1920s when the, the Great Depression. And we can get very scared about that. I mean, that's kind of a scary thing to think about. But as Christians, I think, you know, the crisis, crisis, individual crisis, social crisis, governmental crisis is are going to come, you know, but as Christians, that's our time to shine the brightest. That's our time to rally together and say, you know what, there's more in this life than just money. There's more in this life than just getting stuff. 
there's a message of Jesus Christ. And when people are in crisis mode, either individually or on a, on a larger scale, people are open to the church. And just on Thursday, uh, we, we get together as an all-staff meeting, all of New Life Church staff, which, by the way, including some interns, is like, I think a little over than 200 people um, and staff at this church. And Brady Boyd was, was sharing his heart about our service to the nation. He talked about a, cr- a crisis in either individual lives, whether, you know, a, fr- a friend or a close one dies. That, that brings crisis to a life that the church can shine the brightest in those moments of crisis, either in individuals' lives or corporately if there's a crisis in a nation or a group of people. And he said, he, he, he gave this analogy uh, of the true events of, of surrounding the early church, the first, second, and third century church, and, and said that there was, there, I guess there was a big outbreak of measles in the first, second, or third century um, time in, in the Greco-Roman Mediterranean area. And uh, if, if uh, you, you've ever heard of measles, it's, it's pretty much a disease that no one has anymore because we get the immunization shot. It's a virus, so you can be immunized for it. And uh, it's a disease. If you get measles, you, you'll probably live through it. It's, it's a pretty big deal if you're taken care of, if you have food, clothing, if someone's taking care of you, giving you water, you will make it through measles, and, and then you won't, you'll, you won't be susceptible to measles anymore. You'll, you'll have a resistance to measles. And what, what was happening in the early, in the early, the first, second, and third centuries is that this whole philosophy of the, the Ro- Greco-Roman thought was, if someone is sick, get rid of them. They're going to make you sick. There wasn't the sanctity of human life that Christians have. Sanctity meaning holy, that the human life is holy. And and so the Greco-Roman world, someone would get sick in your house. You're like, dude, get them out of here. They stink. They're sick. Push them away. We don't want to get sick. We don't want to bring this sickness into our home. And so you'd push them out. And then what would happen to them? Well, no one would take care of them. They, they would end up dying of, of lack of water and food. And they were just weren't taken care of. So people were dying of measles. It was an epidemic. But when a Christian got sick with measles, guess what happened? People rallied around them. People took care of them. And then those people that took care of them probably got sick themselves. But then they, individually, they, they gathered around each other and they took care of sick people because the human life is holy. The human life is, is the sanctity of human life. It's a holy thing. It's a, it's a thing of God. It's the image of God inside of us. And so people would take care of other people with measles and then Christians become insusceptible to measles. And what began to happen was just this crisis of measles the, ch- the world looked at the church and said, you know what, Christians are breathing like rabbits. <laughs> Even though measles is taking the whole Mediterranean area by surprise, Christians are living through it because they're taking care of each other. And what a testimony to the world as Christians rallied around each other and then got to rally around other individuals that weren't even in the church who were sick. And I think as, as we're talking about church and politics and church and government, I just think the main point today is that, that we as Christians, we as individuals, serve our country, serve the, thor- the authorities above us. And either individually, we serve our authority by obeying the rules and regulations and not speeding down the freeway and bragging about it. Um, <laughs> and corporately, we can serve authority by serving and, and, and taking the role of you know the government handing food and, and handing money out but we, can, we as the church can corporately do that with the message of Jesus Christ. We serve the authority that's been placed above us. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, God as, we, as we open this season of, of politics and the election up to you,
God, we, we honor you. We obey you. We obey the authority that's been placed above us by you. And we, God, we just agree with your word, the Bible, that the authorities placed above us are a God thing. And we thank you for them. We thank you for the order that you've brought to us. We, we thank you right now for the United States, this, this country that we're in right now, God, that, that you've placed and, and, and put in place for us. And so, Jesus, we just love you. We honor you with, with all that we have. We honor you with our obeying authority. And Jesus, we just leave here, we leave here excited that you are inside of us, as you've given us hope, that you've given us a message of truth on this earth. We love you and we praise you, Jesus. Amen.